Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, and let's go to chapter 1. We want to pick up our study in verse 9 through verse 14 this morning. We're looking at this little mini-series in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 as we continue uh, in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the beginning of the church, and this is part 2. I mentioned last week that the book of Acts follows the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the book of Acts has been called uh, the fifth gospel, uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, the Acts of the Church. Uh, some have called it the Acts of Paul, uh, the Apostle. Uh, personally, as I shared last week, I love the Acts of the Holy Spirit as he leads, as he guides uh, the New Testament church, the ecclesia, uh, the called out ones. God's new work is going to begin after Acts chapter 2. But I would like to add one more that I forgot to mention last week. The book of Acts has often been called the Acts of Jesus Christ. And rightfully so, because with Christ our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, there would be no book of Acts. And so the book of Acts continues. The book of Acts continues because the church is still here today. And the reason the church is still here today, it's because the power of the Holy Spirit is what dwells in the church. It's what leads us and guides us uh, into all truth. And as we are developing the purpose of, of the church, it cannot move, it cannot press forward without the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so we want to look at part two, the beginning of the church, part two. Look at verse nine with me. And we're going to speak here in just a few verses the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. Nobody else has ever ascended. And I'm talking about a bodily ascension. In verse 9, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus is taken from them. Let me give you another insight. In Luke chapter 24, we're told that Jesus led the people, which are the disciples, he led them to Bethany, a little town outside of the Mount of Olives. It's about a less than two-mile journey from Jerusalem. There Jesus blessed them, and he slowly disappeared into the sky, surrounded by this cloud, which I see as the Shekinah a glory of God. And I want you to see the people, not everybody. It's interesting that Jesus did not ascend from Jerusalem. But he chose to go about two miles or right under two miles outside to a little town called Bethany. And I want you to think about it. They saw him ascend into heaven. Now, Jesus came in bodily form. Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again in bodily form. And the Bible teaches and tells us that he will return in bodily form. But I want to speak about this Shekinah glory, this cloud that surrounded him. If you're taking notes back in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, back in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, we see this cloud. This cloud surrounded the tabernacle when Moses would go in to the presence of God and God would speak to him. And so we see the Shekinah glory here in the ascension. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, it mentions a cloud. It's at the Mount of, Mount, it's at the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is in his glorified body. And the disciples see him, Peter, James, and John. But a voice comes from heaven from a cloud. And it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he says, hear he him. That's the translation in the King James. And so this is very important what's taking place here. But as Jesus ascends upward to heaven, people continue to gaze upward. He departs from them. And I need to ask this question to develop the teaching this morning. As the church age begins here, 
Has anyone else ever ascended into heaven besides Jesus? Because I want you to listen to the scripture in John chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ever ascended into heaven, but he who also descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Speaking of Christ. Now, if you know your Bible, I'm going to give you two verses here. We read in Genesis chapter 5 that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So somebody else departed. And then we read in 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, the Bible says that Elijah, the prophet of God, uh, was taken to heaven. And so we often mention Elijah and Enoch as a type of the rapture of the church. Now, did they ascend to heaven before Jesus? The answer is no. You find the answer to this in Luke chapter 16. From the time of Jesus, or let's go back further, uh, from the time of Adam up to the time of Jesus, everybody that died believing in God, they went to paradise or they went to Abraham's bosom. If you study Luke chapter 16, there is a great cavern that separates two compartments. And one compartment obviously is called Hal, Hades, or Sheol. And the other compartment is called Abraham's bosom, or it's called paradise. Everybody that believed in God would go to paradise and wait. No one could ascend into heaven until Jesus first ascended into heaven. And so where is Enoch and Elijah at that time? They have to be in that compartment of paradise, waiting. And it wasn't until Christ ascends into heaven that everybody else has that opportunity. Now, if I die, if you die, and we know Christ, my spirit and my soul go to be with the Lord. They might bury my body, they might bury your body, or they might cremate us. But your spirit and your soul go to be with the Lord. And the Bible says we will have a new body. This is the glorified body as Jesus was ascending into heaven. Now, look at verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men uh, stood by them. And here's the key to these two men in white apparel. I, I believe strongly they're angelic beings. But as I was doing some research, one of my commentaries said, uh, could this possibly be Moses and Elijah? And again, you, you know, people can have their opinion and such, but uh, the description here, two men in white apparel, is generally angelic beings. And so either way, Jesus is ascending into heaven. Look at verse 11 now. Who also said, these are the angels. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, I want you to see the, the promise here. This same Jesus who was taken up from you uh, into heaven will also come, and listen to the words, in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Here's the promise. In John 16, 7, Jesus concerning his ascension he said, I must go away, for if it, I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, cannot come. And that's what we're developing in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. The church will be birthed in Acts chapter 2, but it cannot go anywhere without the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we get into Acts chapter 2, we will see this. But this is a promise. This is a promise. Now, listen to the other promise. The two angels gave such a promise here concerning, I believe, the return of Christ or the rapture of the church. I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And so leave a marker there. As Jesus bodily came to earth, as Jesus died and resurrected, and he receives a new body, and he ascends into heaven now in bodily form. The promise is he will return. The promise is he will return. Now, the church continues because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So many people come to Acts chapter 28 and say, well, the book of Acts is complete. No. In all reality, Acts chapter 29 is still being written. Acts chapter 29 is part of your life, part of my life. But notice that he says, You men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing? This same Jesus who's taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner. He's the promise of his return. And I believe before Jesus comes back, there has to be a removal of the church. It's called the rapture. It's called the great harpazo. And if you study the scriptures and if you know uh, your theology, uh, many will say, well, Pastor Bob, the word rapture is not in scripture. And I will agree with that. But in the Latin Vulgate, the word raptus is there. But we're going to read to be caught away. It's the word harpazo. And if you look at the word harpazo in the Greek, it's to be snatched away violently. It's to be taken out of this present age. And that's what I believe, the rapture of the church. As Enoch was taken... As Elijah was taken in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire, but they were held in this holding pattern until Jesus ascended into heaven. But look at the promise of the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse uh, 13 with me. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as also others who have no hope. In the time of the early church, when a believer died, when a believer passed away, they described that one as one that is sleeping. And he clarifies that. In verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ. I believe that's our personal resurrection. In verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, listen, and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, those who previously had died in Christ. Now, I love the way Paul's writing this. Paul believes that the rapture of the church could easily take place in his time. And here we are, you know, 1950 plus years later, and still waiting for the rapture of the church, but the promise that it will come to pass. And I hope and pray it does it in our time. Notice that it says in verse 16 now, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's those previously, they're going to ascend. I like that. You see, Jesus descended, and now he's ascending, but he's going to come for us. And here's the promise in verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The word is harpazo, uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Caught up, harpazoed, rapture. Snatching away. And, you know, people think, this is crazy. How can this happen? Well, how did Elijah get taken out? How did Enoch get taken out? How are these that are at Bethany watching Jesus ascend into heaven? How do we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Over 500 witness the risen Christ. You see, the Bible Uh, gives us insight of everything. All we have to be is open to see what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Look at verse 18. And that's what we're doing here this morning. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. In the last 30 plus years of ministry here uh, in New Mexico, I have done my share uh, of funeral services. And uh, we have a promise. You know, when we do the funeral service and uh, we do the memorial service, sometimes the ashes are here. Sometimes the carcass itself is here. But the spirit and the soul have gone to be with the Lord. And the Bible says that we will reunite with them again one day 
if we know Christ as they knew Christ. That's a promise. And those of us that have loved ones that have passed away and such, we will see them one day. And so there are those that say, well, you know, I really don't believe in the rapture of the church. I believe in Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for me. Well, praise God. I'll tell you what, I hope I can see you going up that day on the rapture of the church. And I'll say, do you believe now? (laughs) This is where our faith comes in, church. This is where our faith comes in. And so the ascension of Christ. The ascension of Christ of Christ. We go through so much when we speak about the mysteries of the church, and yet they're not mysteries. They were a previously hidden truth, listen, now divinely expressed to us, shown to us by the power of God's Holy Spirit. What is one of the the ministries of the Holy Spirit? But to teach us to lead us and to guide us into all truth. We have a promise, church. We have a promise, church. Look at verse 12 now. Uh, He's going to speak about after the ascension, uh, the upper room prayer meeting. And so Jesus, after he ascended, uh, he had previously told them, go and wait 10 days. The promise of the Holy Spirit would come, and it did. In Acts chapter 1, look at verse 12 with me. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Remember, they're at Bethany. Uh, from the mount called Olives, Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. And I like this. About a, seventh, a Sabbath day journey. Listen to what Albert Barnes in my commentaries that I love so much. The distance allowed to travel for a Jew on the Sabbath was 2,000 paces or 2,000 cubits. Uh, This works out to be roughly about three-quarters or more of a mile. It's it's a short distance. And so the ascension of Jesus rightfully took place. And now, go and wait for the promise. Go and pray and wait for the promise. Now, we understand, and we'll see it uh, when we get into the book of Acts, the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. The prophecy that the Holy Spirit would come. A new work. And then we also read in Ezekiel chapter 36, a new spirit will be poured out. And so the church was anticipating this. Little did they know. Look at verse 13. We'll take it a little bit further. Who's in this upper room? Now we know and we understand there's 120 in the upper room. And we only just get a glimpse of some of the names, but I think the names were important for us to understand. In verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room uh, where they were staying, and he gives the names here. We're going to see 11 disciples. Obviously, Judas Iscariot is not with them. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, And Judas, uh, the son of James. Here are the names of some of the 120 that are in the upper room waiting patiently. Here's the beginning of the church now. The New Testament church. Again, the emphasis is on the acts of the Holy Spirit. But it could not happen without the acts of Jesus Christ. And so they're patiently waiting. We have that privilege this morning. The Holy Spirit has already come. All we have to do is ask. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will lead you, and he will guide you into all truth. Now, what were the 120 doing? Look at verse 14 with me. Uh, These all continued with one accord. And I'm sorry, it's not a vehicle, okay? They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And why? is the mother of Jesus included, I believe, to teach us. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then we get the rest of his family and his brothers. I believe the sisters were there also. Now, before I start to go any further here, 
I know we live in a very strong Catholic community. You know, I've been here myself for over 30 years, my wife and I, our children. I grew up in Southern California, and I grew up a staunch Catholic. I went to parochial school for 12 years. And so when it comes to the doctrines, I understand, and I knew. I want you to put yourself in my, my place 35 years ago when I came to Saving Grace. I couldn't put the book down. Something had taken place in my life. I started reading. I started searching. I started praying. I started asking God, speak to me. Speak to me in clarity. And church, most of you know this, and I'll share it again for some of you that are new. Everything and anything that you want to know, it's here. It's here. This is the manual of life. You want to take math? Go to the university. You want to take history? Go to the university. We've got a lot of history here, too. But you're going to get instructions from the Holy Spirit. There's a purpose and a reason that we have 66 books. There's a purpose and a reason that we have 39 Old Testament and 27 New Testament. My question is, have you gotten into it? Have you read the scriptures? And as you read, have you prayed? Lord, show me. Lord, teach me. And that's exactly what happened to my wife and I. And so we began to search the scriptures. And lo and behold... The scriptures begin to speak to you. In verse 14, who were there? The 11 disciples in the upper room, minus Judas Iscariot, who had gone out and hung himself. I love that uh, the mother of Jesus is mentioned, Mary, and then Jesus' siblings. He did have brothers and sisters. I believe that the sisters are also there. What about the wives of, of these 120? They had to have been there. The women that we saw in, in the New Testament, Mary Magdalene, I believe, has to be there. And so many others. So many more. But there's 120 in the upper room. Now, again, I want you to listen. I'm going to share some scriptures with you. And I hope and pray the heart's open. I hope and pray the mind is open. Uh, there are, they are there, the 120 in the upper room. Uh, they're in one accord. Uh, they're in one spirit. They're in one mind. They're in unity. They're seeking the Lord. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 to 58. Here's the teaching. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. It was his home base. And the people of Nazareth rejected him. I mean, how could this guy be the Messiah? Come on, we saw him grow up here in Nazareth. And I mean, uh, his, his father, speaking of Joseph, his stepdad, he was a carpenter. And then Mary, other children. And then th I want you to think of the siblings. You're one of Jesus' brothers or one of Jesus' sisters. You know what the first thing is going to come out of your mouth? Yeah, you're the Messiah. Come on. We just have that nature of us. We doubt. But we have to look at the scriptures. And again, 35 plus years ago, when I read these passages, I have to tell you, I was angry. I was hurt. I was frustrated. In fact, there are times in my testimony, I, I just threw the Bible off to the side. I, I don't want to read it anymore because too much truth was coming out. And the Bible says the truth will set you free. And so before you, you judge the things that are going to be taught here, let's look at the scriptures, not what Pastor Bob has to say. And so in Matthew 13, look at verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, that has to be Nazareth. He taught them in their synagogues, and they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? We've mentioned as we went through the Gospel of John, if, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Scriptures, you have about 35 miracle signs and wonders. That's what we have recorded. At the conclusion of the Gospel of John, John says there's many more things that Jesus did, but this is all that we have recorded. And so then he says, 
in verse 54, when he had come to his own country, he taught them there in the synagogues. This is the city of Nazareth. But they couldn't grasp it because look at verse 55. And they responded, is this not the carpenter's son? Good question. Who are they speaking of? Jesus of Nazareth. Is not his mother called Mary? Who are they speaking of? Jesus' mother, his biological mother. And then he concludes it, and he says, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Judas. Now, again, I looked at these passages many times over. And I had to rely upon the Holy Spirit. I went back to church, and I asked the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. I had a lot of friends, and, and I mean, I began to ask a lot of questions. And that's the only way you're going to get the answer. Look at verse 56 now. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, the wisdom that he had. And so they were offended at him. They were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. The city did not believe him. The city of Nazareth, listen to this. His own siblings did not believe him. Now we know that Mary... The mother of Jesus saw how much he suffered at the cross. What's going through her heart? Now, Joseph is not mentioned. Historically, we're told that he was an older man and that he passed away by this time. We don't know. But look, listen to the questions now. In verse 58, now he did not do many mighty works there, speaking of Nazareth, because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Now, when you do a background study, who is this James, his brother? We believe that he wrote the book of James. We believe that he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So he wrote the epistle of James. And then Jude Jude wrote the epistle of Jude. <laughs> In John chapter 7, verse 5, listen to that. Jesus' brothers did not believe Jesus was the Messiah until after his death. These would have been his half-brothers. These, the sisters they're speaking of, would have been his half-sisters. Now, when you look at the word brother, it's the word adolphos uh, in the Greek. And all you have to do is get a Greek lexicon. And you realize that the word adolphos means that coming from the same womb. The sisters is the word adolphos. And it means coming from the same womb. Now, I want to be fair with you. You can also use adolfo and adolphos as near relatives, such as a cousin. But I want you to see the context here. Speaking about Mary. Speaking about Mary's children, Jesus' siblings. Speaking about Nazareth, the town that Jesus was raised in. They knew him. Obviously, his brothers and sisters, they knew him. Peter also would have been one of them there. In the upper room. We're told in scripture. Uh, that Peter was married. Uh, these are things that I had to deal with. And hopefully these are things. That you have to deal with. And, and be careful. Yes we have opinions. And that's okay. But what does the word of God have to say? What does the word of God have to say? They're in the upper room. They're waiting patiently now. Obviously to me, Mary has come to saving grace. Obviously to me, 
Jesus' brothers and sisters had come to saving grace. But I want you to see prior to. And so I'll leave a marker there, uh, still in the book of Acts. But go with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. I had all intentions of finishing the chapter this morning. But I sensed that the Spirit of God wanted me uh, to take it deeper. And because these are things that I, I needed to know years back. And I believe there are some here uh, today and those that will be getting the teachings later and those that will be listening on the radio. They need to know these things. And so in John chapter 7, the gospel, the caption of my Bible says, Jesus' brothers disbelieve. They didn't always believe Jesus was the Messiah. Ah, he's my, you know, brother. He's a, he's a pain. I mean, we all have siblings, if you do. Uh, look at verse 1 here, John 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, and he did not want to walk in Judea. Why? Because the Jews sought to kill him. He did not want to hang around Jerusalem. He didn't go till it was time. In verse 2, now the Jews, the Feast of Tabernacles, was at hand. His brothers, Adolphos, therefore said to him, Depart from here, go into Judea, which is Jerusalem, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. They saw the miracle signs and wonders, but they didn't want to believe. Why? Because that's their sibling. That's their brother. And so I believe here they're mocking Jesus. Take this to Jerusalem. Show them you're the Messiah. In verse 4, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. Even his brothers did not believe him. We shared through the Gospel of John that the Jews were looking for a political Messiah. The Jews were looking for a Messiah that would rid them, listen, of the oppression of Rome. But they missed the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering Savior. You know, Psalm 22, the suffering Messiah. He came in his first advent to die as a meek lamb. In the second advent, he will come to set up his kingdom age. Look at verse 5 again. For even his brothers did not believe him. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is already your time is already. We know that Jesus relied about, upon the, the time of the Father. He said that many times in the Gospel of John. I come to do my Father's will. So at his time, the Father's time, Jesus would go to Jerusalem. In verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it and its works are evil. I testify of it. The works of evil were then uh, in the time of Jesus. The works of evil are still here today. In verse 8, he says, you go up to this feast. I'm not yet going to this feast for my time, and he repeats it again, has not yet fully come. And again, you can't blame the siblings. Okay, you're the son of God. You're the savior of the world. That's what they're saying. They're saying that you're the Messiah. You're saying this is what Israel's been waiting for. Well, go tell them. Mockingly, mockingly. Jesus' mother, Mary, had other children. These would have been half-brothers, half-sisters of the Messiah. In verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, go wait patiently. Go wait patiently. They know now. And they're waiting. Ten days. Uh, when we get to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. The 120 are never the same after that. Cloven tongues of fire uh, fell upon them. This is what's setting up uh, the beginning of the church. Because without the Holy Spirit, we could not do it. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 8 that we shared last week. I need his power. I need this power to be an effective and a true witness for Christ. 
And so let me read it to you again as we shared last week. But you shall receive power. The word is adunamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, it's the EP experience. It's EPI. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The upon experience. You have two types of people when it comes to uh, the church and the scriptures. Those that believe and those that don't believe. Even in the church. Now, when I started studying the scriptures, I hope as you started studying the scriptures, I want to know all of it. And that comes from studying. That comes from looking into the scriptures. And so when I came to the word upon, when I came to the word dunamis, the word dunamis is the word power. It's where we get our English word dynamics, where we get our English word dynamite. And so it speaks of something explosive. The word dunamis is that God enables me, he enables you to understand the things of the scripture. Again, there's no mysteries in the church. And if there are mysteries in the church, the time will come when they are divinely revealed to you through the power of God's Spirit. I remember the first time I, I even heard the word rapture. What are you talking about? I remember the first time when I heard the seven years of tribulation. What are you talking about? The first time I heard, listen, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, you might speak in tongues, and, and that is a, a prayer language between, between you and God. When I heard that, what are you talking about? But as you study, as you look at the scriptures, as you seek God, uh, the upon experience, the overflowing that would take place in my life, I need God's Spirit to flow in and through me. You need God's Spirit uh, to flow in and through you on a daily basis. Not just on Sunday morning, but at home as a husband, ladies, as a wife, as a son, or as a daughter. What about at work? Well, you know, I don't, I don't take Christianity to, to work, Pastor Bob. I didn't ask you to take Christianity uh, to work. I asked you to take the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is going to lead you and to guide you into all truth. I don't care if you're an employee or you're an owner or you're a boss or you're a supervisor. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Now, Jesus, Son of God, is Savior of the world. How do you get into that upper room? How are you part of the 120 of that upper room? Number one, you have to come to saving grace. I mean, you're one of the 120, you're in the upper room waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, waiting uh, for the promise of Joel chapter 2, and Peter's going to describe that when we get to Acts chapter 2. But how could you be there if you haven't come to saving grace? And so that ministers to me. How did Mary get there, the mother of Jesus? She first had to come to saving grace. It was very difficult for me to understand and to grasp years ago. And how did the brothers and the sisters of Jesus get into the upper room? They had to come to saving grace first. Well, forget about the saving grace. I had a, a hard time understanding that Jesus had brothers and sisters. I had a hard time understanding that Mary had other children. That's, I was never taught that, and neither were you. But what do the scriptures teach? What do the scriptures teach? I'm going to end with this beautiful story. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'm going to, I want to begin in verse 7. Jesus is going back to the Galilee. And I want you to see this. He has a purpose in all of our lives. He goes out of his way. And he goes through Samaria. Very important for us to understand that because uh, the Jews and the Samaritans were at war against each other. The Jews considered the Samaritan a half-breed. And they wanted nothing to do with them. And so for a Jew like Jesus and the rest of the disciples to go out of his way to go through Samaria, he had a purpose. 
He had a reason. And he goes there to see a woman, the woman at the well. And, and I have to say this to you uh, this morning. 35 years ago, Jesus went out of his way to meet with me. Jesus went out of his way uh, to meet with my wife and I on the same day. And you can testify. Jesus went out of his way to meet you. We'll speak about the Damascus Highway uh, in Acts chapter 9. This is where Saul of Tarsus met Christ. Where was your Damascus Highway? Where was your uh, Jacob's Well experience? Here's the woman at the well. She first has to come to saving grace. Listen to what Jesus says to her. Jesus goes out of his way, that's the caption of my Bible, uh, to minister to this woman of Samaria. In verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now watch, because she sees that he's very Jewish, obviously. And then it says, for his disciples had gone away uh, into the city to buy food there in Samaria. The well was outside of the city, obviously. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, she could tell by the way he was dressed, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In fact, there was great hatred there. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me this drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, she's thinking in a physical water. She's thinking in physical thirst. But Jesus is speaking about her spiritual need. Listen to what he says to her. And he would have given you living water. Speaking about her salvation. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with it, and the well is very deep. Where then do you, do you get this living water? She missed the point. It's just like us. How many times did we hear the gospel? Somebody started sharing with me in 1976. And I started reading the scriptures. But I didn't come to Saving Grace till 1979. We have a lot of questions. We have a lot of unknown knowledge. And they're in the scriptures. She goes back to the physical. Uh, Sir, you have nothing to draw with it. And the well is deep. How are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our, our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Jesus is talking about spiritual water. Spiritual thirst, spiritual quenching. She was still thinking in the physical. In verse 14, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give will become in him, in her, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. When you first came to Saving Grace, you remember that, that sense? You remember that feeling? Something happened. Something miraculous happened. Something that was a work of God, not of man. And it was not religion, but it was a relationship. In verse 15, she goes back, and the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor did I have to come uh, to draw here. Again, she goes back to the physical. Now, she was a Samaritan woman. She was a pretty loose woman. So she had to go after hours. And, you know, there were certain times that the Samaritans would be there. Certain times the Jews might be there. So you don't want to contrast. And obviously, they didn't want her around. Jesus said to her in verse 16, go, call your husband, here's a test for her, and come here. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. The woman answered, I have no husband. 
Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had, listen, five husbands, and the one that you are now uh, have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem it is the place where one ought to worship. The mountain that they would worship in was Mount Gerizim. And there was another uh, mountain, uh, Ebal. Now, yes, they were worshiping in Jerusalem, uh, but the Samaritans would go up to Mount Gerizim and they would worship. In fact, we're told that there's not that many Samaritans left. But the ones that are left, they will still go up there and worship. Now, if you want to do a study on, on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, it, it, they would go to Mount Ebal and they would call out the curses. The religious sect being the Sanhedrin. And in Mount Gerizim, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, they would call out the blessings. So she says to Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He was prophetically speaking of 70 AD. It was called the Great Diaspora, uh, where the Jews would be scattered uh, to the four corners of the earth. In verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. That is true. But because the Jews have rejected the Messiah, it's been given over to the Gentiles. Jews can still come to saving grace. But when you get to Acts chapter 10, the church goes over, the Spirit of God goes over to Cornelius' house. And there Peter was tested greatly. We'll get to that. I'm going way ahead of myself. Notice now, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, verse 23, will worship the Father, listen, in spirit and in truth, and the Father is seeking such to worship him. Here's the key to worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. You see, the scripture said it. And some knew, but most did not believe. I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, the Christos, the anointed one. When he comes, listen to how she concludes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I'm not just a prophet. That's what I'm including here. But Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus declares deity. Jesus declares equality with the Father. Again, we go back. When Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father, it will be sufficient. In the Gospel of John, uh, Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Jesus takes it another step. My Father and I are one. Deity. John chapter 20, uh, when Doubting Thomas said, I won't believe until I put my, my hands in the nail prints. And when he saw Jesus, Jesus stretched out his hand, put out his side. He says, go ahead. Thomas fell to the ground. What does he say? My Lord and my God, giving Jesus deity. We cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until we first come to saving grace. Mary had to come to saving grace. Jesus' brothers and sisters had to come to saving grace. Peter, James, and John, Bartholomew, and the rest of the clan there, they all had to come to saving grace. Peter's wife had to come to saving grace. And the list goes on the same today. You cannot come to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until... You receive Christ. And this is the beginning of the church, which we're developing in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And so I'm going to end in a word of prayer this morning. 
And I'm going to invite you, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to receive Christ. I can't do it for you. All I can do is ask you. We're free moral agents. We must make our own decision. And so let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we humbly come before you uh, in the precious name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the ascension of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the disciples that were patiently waiting in the upper room, the 120. And we know that in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Lord, in order to get into that upper room, uh, to wait with 120, they had to be believers. Mary had to come to saving grace. Jesus' siblings, brothers and sisters, they had to come to saving grace. And so, Lord, I want to give that opportunity with every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here this morning and you still have not received Christ, I'm not here to judge you. I want to pray for you. Right there where you're at, you can receive Christ by faith. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship. If you'd like to receive Jesus, I'll say a simple prayer of faith this morning. Anybody here? Real quick, raise your hand. I see your hand way in the back. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning with this lady? If you've never come to Saving Grace, here's the opportunity. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Then let me ask a second question because it always happens. Maybe you're here this morning. You are a believer, but you've fallen trapped to the enemy. You become a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. If that's you this morning, I just want to say a simple prayer. I'm not here to judge you. I want to just pray for you. If that's you this morning, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a simple prayer. Anybody like to rededicate that life this morning? Praise the Lord, and let's pray for this lady that wants to accept Christ. Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity uh, to bring forth your word and then the opportunity that we have when the, uh, the word of God speaks to our hearts. The opportunity that we have when the Holy Spirit convicts me. And so, Lord, with this lady, she wants to accept you as her Lord and her Savior, her personal Savior. Lord, forgive her of all her sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, give her a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And Lord, come into her life, Lord. Come into her life, Lord. Let a new creation begin. Let a new life begin. Let out of her, like this woman at the well, come forth rivers of living water, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for the opportunity of saving grace. And Lord, those that are here this morning that are saved and still have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Lord, they can do this just by believing, by faith in you, Lord. Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Let that be a prayer that comes from our own lips, our own heart. And Father, fill these with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord,